Shalom, shalom. Welcome to JTeach on Air. JTeach's podcast that explores exciting, fun, and interesting aspects of Jewish culture, Jewish traditions, and Jewish religion. We also look into some of the global and local events impacting Jews around the world and connect with some incredible guests along the way. Thank you for joining us on this amazing journey. 2004 was the worst year in more than half a century for anti-Semitic activity in Canada, with over 857 reported incidents. Tony Comper, former CEO and president of BMO Financial Group, and his wife Elizabeth decided to act. They believed that the crisis was one for non-Jews in the community to solve and that education was the solution. In 2005, along with a coalition of non-Jewish business leaders, Elizabeth and Tony Comper founded FAST, or Fighting Anti-Semitism Together, to speak out against all forms of intolerance, and in particular, anti-Semitism. FAST is dedicated to teaching children and adults that hatred has no place in Canada. They provide resources and training for educators and students in the form of two incredible free programs, Choose Your Voice and Voices Into Action. Join me as I sit down with FAST Executive Director, Nicole Miller. Shalom, shalom, and welcome to JTeach On Air. We are here with Nicole Miller, Executive Director of FAST. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. I was very much looking forward to this. And I do appreciate your being here. So before we get into everything, can you give us a, a little general description about FAST and its overall goal? So FAST is a national nonprofit. Um, we are dedicated to funding educational programs that teach students to speak out against racism, anti-Semitism, and discrimination. Um, so FAST stands for Fighting Anti-Semitism Together. And the together means together with non-Jews. So Tony Comper is the former CEO and past president of Bank of Montreal. And in response to a wave of anti-Semitic incidents that happened in um, 2004, he and his late wife, Elizabeth, founded FAST. Um, and then along with a coalition of other non-Jewish Canadian community and business leaders, they established FAST to provide these free educational resources to combat all intolerance with anti-Semitism as a specific manifestation of it. And we're, we're a small nonprofit, um, you know, we, the head office is based in Toronto and we do have regional directors for Quebec, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba region and the Atlantic provinces. But, but we're pretty small, there's only six of us. Um, we have two bilingual resources online at no cost. And that's essential. When, as soon as people, teachers here free, they're like ears perk up and they're like, no, no, there's got to be a catch. Um, and one third of this content is Holocaust education. Uh, Choose Your Voice is for grade six to eight and teaches students the dangers of stereotyping, introduces them to concepts of victim, bystander, and highlights specific anti-Semitic incidents as well as those toward other minorities, uh, leading them to become upstanders or heroes themselves. And our second program, Voices into Action. Um, in addition to all the material on the Holocaust, there's a unit on Judaism and anti-Semitism, 
through the ages um, up until the Holocaust, and then another one in contem on contemporary anti-Semitism, as well as related videos. So that, that's it in a nutshell. Sounds amazing. I, I, I like how you say it's a small organization. You know, small organizations don't necessarily contain a small amount of people. I think big organizations can be run by a minimal amount of people when it's run properly and well. So one person I don't consider fast to be small. I really, I really believe one person can make a difference, you know, and, and Tony Absolutely. and Elizabeth believe that too. And thank you. thanks to them, uh, we're still going all these years later. Right. I just, I just had a conversation yesterday evening with a fellow educator and he was saying that he was trying to do his little bit, but he doesn't know if it's making a difference. And essentially I said to him, you know, you can't build a house with one brick, but if you get enough of them together, you can certainly build something majestic. So this is what we're doing, right? We all do our part and we hope that that will build something fantastic. Yeah. So great. you mentioned that FAST has been around for 16 years now, since 2004. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you told me that you've been with FAST for 10 years now. Is that correct? Since 2008. So actually, yeah. Since going since, oh, more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what was the path that led you to FAST? So I grew up in South Africa until I was 12. My whole childhood was there, you know, obviously under the system of apartheid. Now you, now you know how, how old I am. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't know if you realize that even as a, a white person, you, you were still uh, living under a police state, and you know, it was a totalitarian state where you couldn't really speak out because it was um, at huge risk. You, you couldn't make a statement even by sitting on a park bench that said non-whites only. If, it, if you as a white person sat on that bench, you would be arrested. You were protesting the government. There was no freedom of speech, no freedom of press, etc. And my parents realized this, and they did consider moving to Israel because we're Jewish, and um, and we grew up actually. I grew up uh, in a fairly orthodox community. They didn't have all those levels there. There was no reform or conservative Judaism, so uh, synagogue was a huge part of my childhood. Um, and so my parents left in 1975, and uh, people thought they were crazy because at that point the Soweto uprisings hadn't happened. But they raised the three of us, my siblings and myself, to realize, uh, you know, how how wrong the segregation was, and um, and it led me to become passionate about human rights throughout my life. So in high school, I do remember writing thesis papers on the Underground Railroad, on the Spanish Inquisition. So it's always been an interest of mine. But I ended up because I'm interested in culture as well. I did a BA in languages at McGill, which led me to do a semester in Italy and all kinds of fantastic things. And then uh, I moved to New York, where I did a degree at Parsons School of Design and became a creative director. I lived and worked in New York for 12 years, um, where I met my husband, who had come directly from Morocco, an ESL student, and uh, he's a Sephardic Jew. And we moved back to Toronto in 96 for many reasons. I felt strongly about raising my children as Canadians, thank goodness, <laughs> at this point. Um, and we have, so we have three sons, two were born in New York, though. And we've always taught our children to not only stand up against racism, but encouraging them to be friends with people from all races, religions, and ethnic backgrounds. Um, you know, I, I feel you can't call out people for being anti-Semitic if you're racist or xenophobic yourself, if you're anti-Arab, you have to take each person on an individual basis. Um, 
And, you know, so we don't just live in a Jewish bubble. We have friends of all, from all ethnic backgrounds and religious backgrounds. On the other hand, we believed in providing our sons with a very strong Jewish education and identity. Like we held our second son's bar mitzvah in Israel and our youngest son had his bar mitzvah in Marrakesh, which was really cool. Mm. And all our non-Jewish friends were very excited to join us there at the special landmark synagogue. Um, so in 2008, I was still doing design work um, and as a creative director, and I found out about Choose Your Voice through a colleague at the Canadian Jewish Congress, which, as you know, is no longer in existence. Right. So at the time, hundreds of kits had been printed, and these were kits with teacher's guides and DVDs, you know, the old way before things were online, but no one was distributing them. They were sitting on shelves, and I looked and I thought, wow, this is really an outstanding and very, very important program. And I could see the potential to make it huge. So uh, my expertise in marketing, advertising, and managing people uh, served, have served me very well in my role with FAST. So within two years, I hired people for all the regions in Canada. And by the fall of 2012, just with Choose Your Voice alone, we had reached at least 1,600,000 students. So that's what Amazing. led me. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, and you mentioned that um, choose your voices for between grades six to eight mm -hmm. and uh, voices into action between was aimed at nine to 12. And it just shows how just through your experience, how you were so impacted in your childhood and so affected by the environment you grew up in, how it really, you know, it, it, it built inside of you this need to, to be fair, to look at things from a perspective mm -hmm. where everybody's equal and stand up for others. Um, so those are key times, I think, to get that information, to get that attitude into children. What do you think, what, what's the key difference in the approach between Choose Your Voice and Voices into Action? Obviously, we're dealing with different age groups. Mm -hmm. Do you find that there's a difference or do you find that they're similar, but the context has just changed a little bit? Um. It's a good question. You see, the thing about Choose Your Voice is it's a pedagogical tool for teachers. Teachers need to register and they use it. Um, there are four lessons, four videos with the discussion guides and the lesson plans, rubrics, and then 29 fact sheets that they can print out and they can determine, you know, if they want to do all four units just say over a week or if they want to spread it out over four months and or focus on key parts for example, um, because there's a lot of many interviews with Holocaust survivors in it, mm -hmm. and keeping in mind that it was filmed back in 2004 and 2005, those are really valuable videos that we can't get today. A few of them have passed on or are not capable of being interviewed. And so those are often showed in uh, school-wide assemblies, et cetera. So I feel it's, it's very different. It's much more teacher-driven as opposed to Voices into Action, there is a portal for students to go on if they're high school students. And a lot of their learning should be, uh, you know, fairly independent. And, and of course, the teachers will assign them all the, the activities and actions, but uh, they have their own portal. They do not need to register. So students can go in and see there are 33 chapters within six units. It's huge, much more comprehensive than Choose Your Voice, obviously, much more in-depth way more actions because there's no way that teachers will assign them every single we call them actions instead of lessons because they're older okay. mature students but the the teachers will pick and choose for example 
and the unit on Aboriginal and Indigenous experience, there are 12 different types of activities and teachers are not going to work with you know, all of them. It depends on which course they're teaching. And so we had to keep in mind that teachers' time is so limited, especially in high school, and they have X number of hours to fit into each particular course. And because our programs were developed by experts at OIZ U of T, they know what teachers need. So basically, yeah, the differences are that um, teachers might use the, the voices to action only for specific courses, whereas choose your voice is more like a whole, whole school approach or for most subjects. You know, it helps teachers meet curriculum outcomes in the areas of social studies, history, geography, religion. We have the Catholic boards love our programs. Every year I um, exhibit, et cetera, at the it's called When Faith Meets Pedagogy Conference. Um, and uh, so they're very committed to teaching about anti-Semitism in the Holocaust, which was kind of interesting to see. So they use it in their religion classes. In fact, York Catholic School Board completely embedded Choose Your Voice in their curriculum back in, I think it was 2010 or 2011, which is impressive. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously the approach, it's, it is slightly different in, in the way it's packaged for, you know, junior student, for younger students, intermediate students, there's graphic organizers and, and, and different kinds of pedagogical tools that are suitable for that age group. I hope that answers the question. Absolutely, that answers it extremely well. It sounds to me like Choose Your Voice is a more general program that would apply towards the social sciences that the teachers are teaching at that level. Uh, and they can adapt it for the individual class or take that whole school approach. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, Voices into Action allows for that self-directed learning that the students at the high school, at the secondary school level are capable of doing. And I think that's brilliant. Uh, it gives them a lot of choice. It gives them a lot of mm -hmm. freedom in how they explore it and how their teachers explore the topics and subjects with them. And like you said, sometimes our time is very... Uh, limited in terms of what we're covering in class and we need to extend that learning beyond class so this is a fantastic way to be able to extend that learning beyond class for those who are capable of doing so like the secondary school students exactly and um, but we also we realize teachers don't really have time to use resources in addition to the courses they teach it was really essential that they align with the provincial curriculum requirements so I actually have a handout that I prepared to say for Ontario, linking and showing page numbers from Ontario curriculum that I downloaded, saying here's where the links are. These are the page numbers or highlighting entire courses. For example, you know, obviously Canadian and world studies, there's just so many uh, correlations. Um, right. So they love it. And, um, and, and as I said, it was developed by the experts at OISE. We had 20 people from diverse ethnic and religious backgrounds who worked on voices into action. It was so much work. It took two years, 2013 and 2014. And in addition, we worked with the same film producer. So there's a continuity between Choose Your Voice and Voice Into Action. He's at uh, Historical Film Productions, and he created these original videos for us. So there are four in Choose Your Voice, which, as I said, um, they, we interviewed Holocaust survivors, Rwandan genocide survivors, uh, a former neo-Nazi, um, but, but predominantly survivors. And uh, so it's divided and, and links directly to each of the four lessons. 
But then for Voices into Action, we interviewed 36 different people, which is, was a lot. And um, they're, they're quite well known. Like, um, well, Ben Mulrooney introduces both of our programs. But then we have um, Daniel Liebeskind uh, on the importance of Holocaust memorials and monuments. Um, I don't know if you know about his Wheel of Conscience, which always, to me, just speaks to everything that's even going on right now in the world. Um, it's at Pier 21 in Halifax. Have you ever seen an image of it? It's, it's, in, no. our, it's in our program in our Canada where there's a section on museums and monuments. And it's, it's supposed to resemble a, ship, um, a ship's wheel because if you remember, Pier 21 is where the immigrants landed in Halifax. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it, it's all these different cogs that connect together in this wheel. And it's racism and genocide, and sorry, and xenophobia and anti-Semitism and how they're all connected and they're all one and the same. So for me, that, that has huge impact, just like it, that visual says it all. Um, and then other interviews, if you're interested to know it, like Adam Agoyan is an expert on the Armenian genocide, but he doesn't just talk about the Armenian genocide. He speaks about all genocides and the Holocaust. Uh, Professor Erwin Kotler talks about human rights. Uh, he did three interviews for us, um, one on BDS as well and one on apartheid. Kyle Lowry on human rights. Um, there's so many, um, but we were very lucky to get these busy people as spokespeople for our program. Um, and in every case, whether it was a Rwandan genocide survivor or a victim of uh, homophobia or anti-Semitism or even cyberbullying expert, in every case, they encourage students or people to do the right thing. You know, that by being a bystander, by doing nothing, you become a part of that bad thing. And that they should, people should stand up for a victim and that they can make a difference and be a hero. Um, in addition, we have videos of youth discussion groups like Black Canadians, Aboriginals, Muslims, and new immigrants. And these kind of firsthand accounts, and especially in a group setting, help establish a safe space within classrooms for students then to begin these, to have these difficult conversations. So I think uh, that explains it. Amazing. I, I think, I, I just want to get my opinion on one piece that you just said. You said you were very lucky to get these people participating and recording videos for you. I don't really know if it's luck. I think it's a testimony to the value of the program that these people were willing to participate. Um, those who were very supportive of justice mm -hmm. and social justice. So, you know, we can look at it one way as luck or we can look at it one way as in being deserved of having these people um, record and speak on behalf of FAST. So I, I we covered, I think when, you know, there are a couple questions I wanted to ask, but I think we're sort of blending a few things into answers, which is perfectly fine. Um, but I wanted to just ask you, you mentioned about working with the Catholic School Board and presenting um, during their faith, was it faith into action? When I don't remember faith the exact. meets pedagogy. Faith For, meets pedagogy, um, it, right. The Catholic Curriculum Corporation holds it every fall, except not this fall, I guess, sadly. I guess. Well, we'll see what happens this coming fall. Uh, you never know. But so how do you connect with other schools? Is there an outreach program that FAST does? Is it more through connection from teachers? So, well, we've, we've actually won awards for our best practices from uh, two awards in 2010 and 2016. Um, 
our multifaceted approach has, has been really successful. So rather than going into classrooms ourselves, which would, in terms of just uh, bang for your buck, like it, that would take so much and so many, the manpower required and the amount of time, it would take uh, 20 years <laughs> just to get through Ontario. Um, so we didn't limit ourselves. Instead, we equipped teachers with the tools that they need in these two online packages and being online and, you know, entirely free. And um, essentially, it's, it's one-stop shopping for them. So we promote directly to educators across the country uh, in various ways. So via emails at local and national conferences where we exhibit and we present and all at no cost. We, we don't charge for our workshops. We do board-wide PD day sessions. Um, also workshops to entire teaching staff at schools by invitation um, through the ministries of education. You, I will generally say the smaller ministries. Um, and through the teacher federations. So I worked closely in the early years of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario with um, Choose Your Voice. They had their own presenters who I provided them with the PowerPoint presentation and they went throughout Ontario presenting my program, which was amazing. Um, and I've done workshops at the elementary, and sorry, the secondary school teachers federation as well, OSSTF. And in fact, I remember uh, my workshop description drew so many participants, they had to double the workshop. I had to do two back to back. So I was very pleased about that. We also- it's a good problem to have. Yeah, we also uh, are, get articles written in teacher publications. We are in touch always with equity staff and curriculum coordinators at school through teacher associations. So one example is I've for many years now, I've worked very closely with the Ontario History and Social Sciences Teachers Association. So I know all the lead people there and they're such a great group and they include me as one of their own. You know, they see me as an expert now and so I'm, you know, I attend their webinars and I present for them and uh, I'm invited to their dinners, which, which is great. That's, you know, I'd like to be, uh, to being a part of that is important to me. And who can say no to food, right? <laughs> <laughs> if, if it's a Jewish thing, you know, we would have to have food. So if it's, you know, and I think the same thing goes for teachers. You know, I think teachers are very, if we have a meeting, if we have a half day training and there's no food, it's always a, a point of contention. It's always a picky issue. Oh, I know. I find turnout is very good at my workshops where I've provided food. So if I go into a high school right. and they fit me in close to lunch, I'll include pizza, and then the teachers are very happy. <laughs> ah, the key to a teacher's heart. <laughs> so we know that um, the materials being provided by fast and electronic format. We know that you have uh, an amazing website that people should definitely be checking out for both uh, Choose Your Voice and Voices Into Action. There's different portals for the different teaching um, divisions, and um, I've been through both of them. I think they're amazing sites and they're very comprehensive and they're very easy to navigate. So I think that anyone who's interested, whether they're a teacher or not, should definitely be going and checking out what's available there. Uh, we can all stand to do some learning, especially in these days when we see situations that arise that are just incomprehensible. Um, I wanted to ask you, so this is the third year in a row that statistically hate-based crime has happened, has risen 
um, when we look at the Jewish population by a significant margin. So how do you see people using fast in order to fight against this, in order to try to fix this issue? I mean, we keep talking about how we can address racism and bias and discrimination towards particular groups, and yet we continue to see a rise. Mm. Particularly, I mean, obviously my interest and my particular interest is in the Jewish population and anti-Semitism. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not worthy of addressing when it deals with other populations. Uh, it just happens to be my focus. And I have been tracking both in the States and Canada and Europe. We see a rise over the past few years, a significant rise. And yet in Canada, we, we represent maybe 1% of the population, but we account for, I believe it's somewhere close to 19% of hate-based crime. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that, for example, in grades 6, 7, and 8, they, they might be introduced to those kind of subjects in history, social studies classes. They might read Anne Frank or Hannah's suitcase. But unfortunately, you know, years later, you can ask those same people if they've heard about the Holocaust and they might not remember. I mean, there's a lot thrown at them in school and, and years later, they just like, oh yeah, that sounds kind of familiar. But I think you have to teach it often, like ideally every year. And I, there's not enough history and social sciences, you know, and especially in high school. Um, if uh, kids go the STEM route, then, you know, there's no history in grade nine, grade 10 Canadian history. And if, and if they can stop, if they drop out of the humanities other than English, then they're not being exposed to it. And when you also have newcomers coming into the system who might not be exposed to it. So um, I'm not saying that minorities who come here themselves are anti-Semitic or bring hate, but I'm just saying it's really important to reach everybody and, and often, so, but let's face it. So we believe anti-Semitism and hate against all minorities starts young. People aren't bigots. They're not born bigots. They just, they learn to hate. And so they can learn to unlearn it, you know, in a sense. Um, and to understand that we're just all one race and it's gone on far too long. Um, so fast resources addressing these issues from grade six and up. Hopefully we can deter youth, especially from being preyed upon by extremist groups, because I think that that's a huge concern right now. And at workshops, I always tell teachers, watch out for the students who are being excluded by their peers, because those kids so desperately want to belong somewhere that they're the ones who are vulnerable to online hate groups. Um, in both of our programs I mentioned, we have video interviews of former neo-Nazis sharing their stories. I don't know if you saw that one video in unit three of Voices into Action in the overview. I did. Yeah, it's, it's really powerful. And I talked to him, uh, Brad Galloway, for a long time about how he was drawn into it. And he had a, a childhood that was not, pre- where his parents didn't raise him to be prejudiced or racist. He was in um, Midtown Toronto. He was exposed to all different races and minorities. And yet he was kind of bullied and excluded and they empowered him. And once he was sucked into it, it's impossible to get out. And it, literally he was in the, in a, the neo-Nazi group for 15 years. So 
uh, I guess that's a good uh, warning lesson and it's great that now he speaks out for students, encouraging students not to go down that same path. Uh, and then also encouraging difficult conversations in the classroom. Um, and that can only be led by teachers who are equipped to talk about these subjects. So hopefully after learning from our resources, teachers feel that they um, have a little more knowledge and can begin to have these discussions. Um, there are a lot, so many teachers and students who've never met Jews before and they, they need an introduction to the topic of Judaism. So that's why we also added a unit on Judaism as a precursor to the study of anti-Semitism right. so that people understand Jews are not just about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism didn't start with the Holocaust and that Jews have been contributing to society even when survivors arrived in Canada with absolutely nothing and, um, and gave back to our, our communities. Um, and then looking at adults, I'll tell you something, Voices Into Action was aimed at high school, but boy, we are, were absolutely ecstatic to know how many adults are, are learning uh, through our programs. So uh, educators at adult education centers and even companies are registered to use our resources. Um, you know, there are many people, newcomers to Canada who need to understand our values and the, as I said, the homegrown racists who need to unlearn hate. So um, the Director of Learning at Correction Systems Canada registered and said it was planned to teach it to 9,000 inmates, which that, wow. that blew our mind. Uh, Human Resources Canadian Tire, someone signed up. And literally countless of adult ESL centers throughout the country. Every year, I actually, we've been lead sponsors at the Teachers of ESL conference, which is huge, thousands of teachers. And it's a big three-day conference. And um, the teachers are literally falling over themselves to get our program. So there are a lot of teachers there from school boards, but many, as I said, from adult ESL centers. Um, and you know, education, unfortunately, doesn't happen overnight. And I think the more of the people exposed to these lessons will hopefully open their eyes and to um, prevent ignorance and ideally prevent these hate crimes. But uh, Unfortunately, let's face it, anti-Semitic, it's, it's the oldest history in hatred. It's, it's really hard to undo uh, so many years of these assumptions and stereotypes and biases, right? Right, yeah. It's part of that same conversation that I was having last night, a uh, comment was made that anti-Semitism seems to be like the oldest acceptable hatred in people's mm -hmm. minds. It's something that doesn't set up a red flag in people's opinions. They don't necessarily say, wow, we're experiencing anti-Semitic acts in this city or this town or this neighborhood, so everybody should be concerned about it. It seems to be, unfortunately, that when anti-Semitism rears its ugly head and it comes to public light, it's really the Jewish community that, and not all of the Jewish community, that kind of rallies around it and says we need to do something but it's 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 a small portion so mm. i would imagine when teachers are using this program or you're talking to professional development groups that there's a challenge in getting people to understand that anti-semitism can lead to greater forms of hatred and make a greater impact on society so how do you overcome that when people resist that when they say, well, we're here to learn about racism and bigotry, why do we need to learn about anti-Semitism? 
I know, unfortunately, uh, Jews are such a small minority in Canada. It's just over, I think, what, 400,000? Something like that. Um, yeah. so for example, this is really interesting. The BC Teachers Federation for years was known to be anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. And uh, this is like going back 2008 to 2012. And it was, it was a little bit of a struggle dealing with them there. And they, they would say things, well, even the school boards there would say, oh, we, we don't have any Jews in our schools. We, we don't need this program. And just last month, they published their they have a publication online and they publish an article specifically about anti-semitism i can even send it to you corey if you're interested in seeing it and it's really it's Absolutely. about jewish children experiencing or being victims of anti-semitism in school and um the fact that they published it was like yay <laughs> i'm so excited um so that we feel like we've, we've come away and it's just you can't give up. I feel like you have to just keep chipping away at it, you know, encouraging people to do the right thing. Um, you know, it's, I presented a workshop to 60 teachers in a board last year, or not Toronto District School Board of York, where they invited me specifically to do a workshop on anti-Semitism, which both alarmed me and pleased me at the same time because one, I know, well, there's a need because there must have been some anti-Semitic incidents happening in, in the schools. And they don't want to tell you exactly what because it's bad publicity for the board. But on the other hand, I'm so glad they're taking steps to address it. So they asked me to do a presentation for two and a half hours, which is the longest workshop I've ever done. We had a break in between, but it's incredible. So... It was the first half was just about Judaism and anti-Semitism through the ages, drawing on our, our resource for Jewish Heritage Month that's in Voices into Action, and then moved on to um, from you know historical anti-Semitism into anti-Semitism after the Holocaust and current anti-Semitism and incidents around the world. So if you like, I, I can read you a little um, and a, well, a feedback. I had a testimonial from a teacher about the workshop which uh, was really amazing. She said, your presentation today at the board resonated with me so much that I had to email you to say thank you again. I thought you covered so much in such a short period of time. It wasn't short. But anyway, it was very insightful and enlightening. I've learned a lot. I'm excited to use the website resources you've shared. I've already shared the websites with my colleagues. It has been the single most useful and important professional development I've had all year. Seeing people like you use their life to make a difference and create change is very inspiring. Thank you so much. This person was not Jewish. This teacher knew almost nothing about Jews and Judaism. She knew what a synagogue was. She'd heard of bar mitzvahs. Not much more. <laughs> She's like very limited knowledge. So I, I really felt like now she's going to go on to teach a whole generation of you know, young people and share it as well with her colleagues. So, and this is how you, you make change happen, slowly but surely. That's incredible. And, and I, I wasn't even at the seminar, but I appreciate you doing that. And I'm sure there was more than her. You know, we, we as human beings tend to write emails and letters of complaint when we're upset about something, but we, mm -hmm. it's, it's rare when we send things, when we appreciate something or when we're thankful for something. So I think the fact that she wrote this meant I, you know, for everyone that you were written, there were probably 10 more people thinking that was great. They're just not getting up and writing a letter to say it. Definitely. I know. I wish more people would. Um, 
And then also when there is a specific incident of anti-Semitism in a school calls me in, I have to tell you, we're not a political organization. We don't get on the front page of the paper and cry out about it. And, you know, there's, we have a very different approach from some of the other organizations out there. We come to them and say, how can we help you? What's, how can we be part of the solution rather than blaming and, and making them just sort of go back into their shell or being worried about being sued by parents, et cetera. Like, there's just so much that goes on um, these days, especially I feel sorry for administrators sometimes at high schools where they didn't realize that there was an issue and all of a sudden like their jobs are on the line and, and they become really fearful and the teachers are so worried about saying the wrong thing and being politically correct. And, and so giving them the vocabulary and, and teaching them how to make every student feel accepted is, just, is such a, a key thing. Uh, and, and, and giving the teachers, you know, the right tools to feel comfortable to, to deal with it. Yeah, I think we need to ensure that there's recognition of these instances when they mm -hmm. happen, give them the tools to recognize when they're Mm -hmm. these kind of things happen uh, and the education necessary to deal with it mm -hmm. and I agree with you 100% I've had many teachers contact me and ask me about help for something during Holocaust Education Week or Jewish Heritage Month where they say this is an opportunity for us to do something in our classroom to explore a little bit more about anti-semitism or just about Judaism in general uh, but they don't have the knowledge or they don't have the skills or they don't have the techniques delivered in a classroom. So I think having resources like the ones that FAST develop uh, are, are just absolutely essential in order to do that. And, mm -hmm. and the more people we reach and the more people who understand, the less hate we're going to have and the less anti-Semitism we're going to have. I mean, I always say that we fear what we don't understand and we hate what we fear. So let's make sure that people understand and hopefully we're going to eliminate that hate because we're doing, exactly. we're eliminating the fear in that case. And the other important thing is to partner with, for us, to partner with other non-Jewish organizations as well. So Canadian Race Relations Foundation paid for and partnered with us on a unit in Voices Into Action that is used uh, specifically in civics classes, but also religion. Um, it's mm -hmm. called Our Canada, and um, it's about understanding Canadian values and about belonging, et cetera. So, so that was great that we worked together on that. And then for Choose Your Voice, we last fall introduced the, the Choose Your Voice book club where we partnered with Indigo Lover Reading Foundation. And we have books that um, basically are connected to all the lessons within Choose Your Voice. Uh, so the, the same topics. Um, for example, the refugee and immigration experience, the Holocaust and other genocides, indigenous voices, the bully issue, gender differences and homophobia, religious intolerance, racism, and embracing diverse cultures. So there's this entire book list that was reviewed and recommended by instructors at OISE, not by us. Remember, we always go, go back to the experts at OISE, and they're under those headings, and then teachers can go in and order whole sets of class um, materials and books for, for right directly through our website to the to indigo and i believe they get a discount when they sign up uh, their, their school and then another partnership we're working on now is with um, the Kenyan human rights commission and i'm developing a, a sheet on how to be a hero safely 
because I think a lot of people fear for their lives about, well, if I'm on a bus and I see something, I'm going to get hurt or I put myself at risk. So speaking out and, and speaking out against anti-Semitism or how you deal with it if you're in a group of your, your friends and, you know, p people, especially youth, are so concerned about what their peers think. So they might be afraid to say anything and um, cause friction. So we, we have this plan for them, which we'll, we'll be adding to our resources, how to be a hero safely. That's a great resource. When I do presentations for middle school kids or secondary school kids, I always tell them, when you see instances of anti-Semitism, when you see instances of hate, um, you need to speak up about it. We all need to speak up about it, but you may not be comfortable speaking up yourself. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you can't go to a peer, you can't go to a parent, you can't go to a sibling, you can't go to a teacher. Um, you know, there's many people that they can approach and say, this is what I've seen, this is wrong. It needs to change but they may not want to get involved directly in the situation themselves. Well, they feel like if I'm not getting directly involved myself, then what am I doing? Right? Mm -hmm. But they need to understand that anything you say, anyone you approach, anyone else you get involved is a good thing. People, the more people who are aware of the situation, the more likely it is that something will get done. Well, we developed an acronym called ASSESS and, and ask. I'll send it to you for feedback because I really value your opinion. Before I send it to the Chief Commissioner of the Human Rights oh, Commission, I think you should look at it. So I'd like to hear your opinion. Thank you. That sounds great. So and I, there's one more question I wanted to ask you. We're, as we saw with the um, pandemic with COVID-19, you know, our landscape in education has changed drastically. Mm. Now, I think actually, you know, choose your voice and voices into action fits very well within the new dynamic because uh, it's all online. There are lessons laid out. The teachers can use video. They can use uh, electronic means to communicate with students. So it's actually an even, I don't want to say better tool now than it was before, but it's, More it, it's really That's applicable sure. to the current situation. Yeah, yeah. So uh, do you see or have you as the organization seen any challenges in the changing landscape of of education and looked at perhaps is there a need to adjust the program is there anything sort of on the horizon that you see long term that you might be doing to make the plan the, the program even more effective than they are now we're always trying to keep current with changes in curricula and the learning methods and we do a lot of professional development. That's my fat, the fast staff and myself. Um, two of our regional directors are former teachers themselves. And the, the language used by the educational sector is constantly changing. So we must make sure we, we keep current with that. Um, and when we provide workshops or webinars, we give teachers opportunities to discuss our programs, provide feedback to us. But, uh, just this week, uh, for example, I learned about things like skills continuum, scaffolding, and provocations, and history classes. Mm -hmm. So every year, you know, we, we review and update the curriculum connections. Um, as you know, our, our resource was initially a kit, and then we moved it online. So basically, we're just constantly listening to what teachers need, asking them, doing surveys, getting feedback. Because if not, our efforts would be wasted. It's it's useless. You can create a great website, but if you if you don't you know keep current and 
listen to your audience's needs, it's it's a waste. So uh, absolutely, it's the only way. But uh, you know, to date, we've reached um, with the Voices into Action, we've reached over one million four hundred eighty-four thousand students in over four thousand high schools and post-secondary institutions. And I, these are just numbers from the teachers who registered. I think there are so many teachers using it without registering because you can. You can look at the content and videos if you were a student. It's all there. Um, and some teachers might be hesitant that thinking down the line we'll ask for a credit card and they're going to have to pay, which isn't the case. But uh, it could be a lot more than that. We, we don't know. It's, but that's the. I, I would venture that you're correct. It's, there's yeah. probably a lot more than that who pull so. bits and pieces off of there looking for information or things to support their lessons who haven't necessarily registered right. and gone through the entire Google program. Analytics traffic doesn't align with the numbers of registrations it's higher especially in Quebec which is so interesting almost every month without fail Quebec has more site visitors than registrations relative to other provinces so, <laughs> Amazing. maybe there's a more of a paranoia about registering uh, yeah, there than exactly. in other places. Wow. I, I just, before we sort of start to wrap up, I just want to make a mention of a point. I know there's a lot of teachers out there, especially when you get into the secondary school, mm -hmm. and they look at something like Voices into Action and they say, well, there's all these lessons and all these curriculum connections, but really it's just something that applies only to history or to social sciences. And I just want to get across to them that that's absolutely not the case. The beauty of the program and the fact that it can be segmented into individual lessons means that teachers can actually incorporate it into their programs already in many, many different areas. I've, I've used information and I've used materials in my English class. We've studied you know, novels with a Holocaust theme like Night uh, and resources like we find in, in Voices into Action are invaluable in giving the students an understanding of the, of the depth of the situation that they may not understand otherwise. And I, I should point out that I do teach in the public school system. This mm -hmm. is not a, 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 you know, a parochial school of Jewish students. Uh, I have students from all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of different denominations, and, and they respond very well to the materials. So being a part of it is to be a creative teacher. And it's really nice as teachers when we get spoon fed, these are the curriculum requirements and these are the check boxes that they apply to. But I think that, you know, sometimes we have to get off our butts too and take the great information and resources and say, this is how we can apply it to our class and make our teaching better. I've been surprised how many science and math teachers have even signed up to use the resources um, about a third are English teachers or French because our programs are entirely mm -hmm. bilingual and I will add that that French teachers are just dying for resources because there are not enough out there and so we're really in demand from all the you know French immersion schools um, but uh, you know for arts there's an entire unit with painting and poetry and um, the museums and designing an exhibit, it just, it's so rich that uh, really any teacher could use it. Right, I wholeheartedly agree. Thank you. So before we sign off, is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you might like want to mention? That sentence didn't even really make sense. I think we've Was covered there anything a lot. That you, 
yeah, we uh, did cover a people, lot. People, uh, yeah, get a, a, an idea of the scope of our programs. Um, we just, we really do hope that, you know, if we say that if we've saved one child from being bullied or facing anti-Semitism or racism, we've done our job, you know, it, it's a child at a time. Amen. It. Yeah. <laughs> Nicole, I want to thank you for joining me. I, I, I think it was a fascinating conversation. I know that my listeners are going to learn a lot about your organization and what you do and what they can do with that information, which is arguably even more important. So uh, I want to thank you and FAST for doing your part to eradicate um, the attitudes of racism, of bigotry, and anti-Semitism going on around the world and teaching our youth that this is something that's not okay and teaching them how to be better people. Because exactly. that's something we should be doing, is teaching our, our kids how to be better people. And have compassion. Absolutely. Yeah. So well, thank it, you so much. It, I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of JTeach On Air. The opinions expressed by guests of this show are solely their own and their appearance on the show does not imply endorsement by JTeach or JTeach On Air. To keep up to date with JTeach, be sure to check out our website and our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Please consider supporting this podcast by making a donation through Patreon.com. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. Shalom, shalom.